We're here today uh, because we fellowship with one another. We share the same water hole. That's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a blessed and beautiful thing that we can share place. We're also here to share more than place. We're here to share our food. We're here to share our experiences and our lives. We're here to share our encouragement and our hope and our stories with each other. But most of all, we are here because we have an opportunity to look out through the picture window, through the porthole, into the revealed mind and heart and plan and purpose of our Creator. That's what the book gives to us. And it is our highest joy and it is our greatest privilege with admiration and love and humility and joy to look out and to say, wow, show me, show me the world beyond, show me the plan. And as we get, as we get insights into it, to have that amazing experience of growing in the Lord, that's why we're here. Now, I want to come back for a moment to a title of this message. And uh, this message, this topic of our sexual identity is pretty grown up and adult. I'll just mention that. It's, uh, it's um, something that was one of the questions that came in. Um, I'm going to be looking at different questions that you ask. They're up through October at least. And this one says, what happens to transgender people when they pass? Will they be, will they be in heaven? Transgen to transgender is to say that God made a mistake. How can this be okay? So that's a, certainly a relevant topic and a question that has something pretty basic about our own selves to answer. <clears throat> I... I have this very weird topic or this very weird title to the sermon because this is exactly what I saw on a bumper sticker about two or three weeks ago. I pulled up behind a car at a red light and this was the bumper sticker. And I knew exactly what it was talking about because I had just recently heard and done some reading about what's called gender fluidity, which means that a person... Is neither a man or a woman, but they move back and forth. They make choice, maybe depending on the day, depending on their mood, depending on the crowd, depending on the circumstance, as whether they would consider themselves a male or a female. And so this is called fluidity. And uh, it was kind of a new idea. By the way, I didn't ask uh, this person. I figure I shouldn't have to ask, as far as that goes, to figure out if someone is a man or a woman. I shouldn't have to ask them. Um, it seems to me that the way God created us answers that question for itself. And, uh, but what this person was saying, I can only assume is, depending on the day or depending on my mood or whatever, um, I may be a woman and expect you to use female or feminine pronouns and so forth in reference to me, or I may be a male today and expect a whole different set of of. Of, uh, to be addressed in a different way and so forth. So this question is saying uh, a person who 
uh, is a person who wants to go back and forth or cross the lines of, of the barriers of sexual identity, which is what's called transgender, crossing over the normal uh, barriers of, of sexual identity. Um, this is saying, this question is saying, what happens to such a person when they die? And uh, of course, I am, I am not God to judge. Of course, I cannot stand here and make any definite uh, just, uh, statement about anybody in their eternal destiny. There's, we're pointing once to die and after that the judgment. God takes care of that. My concern about those folks who say, I want to become something different than what God has made me biologically, my concern is that, that this would seem to be very little different from the whole entire homosexual attitude, which is basically to say, though God created me, with a natural affinity or a natural attraction to this sex, the opposite, heterosex, I am going to instead allow myself to be attracted to the same sex, and I'm going to um, ignore the plan or the programming that God has given to me in my body. And so uh, it seems to me that the transgender and the homosexual um, lifestyle and attitude are very similar to each other, even though, you know, of course, practices may be different. But it's, the, it's, it's basically the whole attitude one of saying, somehow how the Lord put me together, somehow the circumstances I find myself in and my sexual identity are not satisfying to me, are not pleasing to me. I do not respect or submit myself to the way God somehow made me or the circumstance he put me in and therefore I will choose to do something different and my concern with that and the notion of our destiny is that the Bible does say 1 Corinthians 6 Revelation 22 that those who are homosexual in their lifestyle those who are homosexual in their ongoing choices not of having experienced it, tried it, repented of it, or whatever, but those who choose this path will not be in the kingdom of heaven. This is what the Bible tells us. Um, it's not about a particular sexual practice. I don't think that's my opinion as much as it is an attitude that says towards the Lord who created us, uh, I, basically, I don't care how it is that you've created the world to run. Basically, it doesn't matter to me what I've been given and therefore expected to use. I will choose what suits me. I will choose what I want to choose. And therefore, the question is that said, um, doesn't this imply that God made a mistake? I think it does um, imply that. I think... It implies that we human beings know more than what God, our Creator, knew, who somehow brought us into a certain century of time, a certain family, a certain culture, but mostly, most intrinsic to our identity, brought us into the world as a male or a female. And, and therefore, to defy God and to say, but I, I choose to go a different path, seems to me that it does make a statement that 
is equivalent to say that God's design was mistaken. And it certainly, from what we read about it in the Bible, is, is spoken of and described as being rebellious against God. Here's a verse from Romans 1. I know that we're probably all familiar with this verse. But I, I just wanted, it is speaking of homosexuality, the, the lifestyle that says, um, I, I want my sexual activity to be among my own type, male or female. Um, I just want us to stop and remember how it's described here by the, by the Creator. This is not my opinion. This, in my opinion, doesn't matter at all. Um, this is what the Creator, how our Creator describes this style of living or these choices. Um, it says there in the next to the last line that God at some point often turns folks over. He didn't fight them anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he, he lets them go if they, if he perceives that they're so determined in their rebellion that they're never going to listen. And what it says that he lets them go to is something that had ought not to be done. You see that phrase? That's from which I gather that this is against God's will. It's against God's way. It's against God's plan. It's um, not at all in, in the accepted favor of our Creator when we, do, when we choose this kind of a lifestyle. It says that that ought not to be done. It's a way of saying no. Um, I, I know that we've read these words, but I'm just going to throw them up there. This is from the New International Version. Uh, other translations may possibly use other words. But all of these are speaking of, um, all of these phrases, these terms, are speaking of homosexual type of behavior. And I just want you to notice the adjectives that are used to describe um, not simply sexual immorality, but specifically the immoral sexual attitude that says, I'm going to practice my sexual activity with my own gender. And these are terms which I think together, all together, certainly give us a picture, paint a picture for us of how God feels about this. Now, why? How did this all come about? And, 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 and what is this all about? Um, I'd like to go back, as Jesus always did when they asked him questions about these kind of things, to what he called the beginning. And he said, and, and, and he, he would say, Jesus would say to people, well, how was it at the beginning? When, when you ask me how we should live and what things should be like, how did God set it up to be? That was always the inclination of Jesus, to take us back to the beginning. We know we have the story of the beginning. So we know what Jesus was talking about. We know exactly to what he refers when he says, how did God set it up to be? He's talking about this exact quote, this exact transcript right here, which comes from the, the book of Genesis in chapter 1. And this is the philosophy. And there's, there's so many things in this short description you know, Genesis 1 describes the creation of the world and gives the big picture, and then Genesis 2 backs up and gives the details 
about how, how the Lord did it. Genesis 1 says He did it. Genesis 2 says, well, it wasn't all in one slow or one easy step. For example, male and female was arrived at sort of as a culmination, the proce- a culmination of a process. He started out with one, then he divided the one into two. But this is the big picture. This is the, this is the description of what God was doing. And it says that the Lord said, and I'm going to break this up and just point out several components in this beginning. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the air. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. Um, the Lord said among himself, let us do something. I got an idea. There's something that I want to do. And it includes, it includes creating a subcontractor for part of the, a, part of the build. I, I got a big universe to build. I got a big universe to take care of, but I need somebody to kind of mind the details while I'm out of the store. So I'll make somebody else for that. And I will give them a task. So when he says, let us make man and let them, God is, God is expressing a plan. This is a big, big picture. The second part is the idea that God says, well, if I'm going to if I'm going to fulfill the plan, if this is going to work, I have to design this person, this subcontractor, this, this vice ruler. Uh, I, have to de- I have to design them to take on the task. You can't do a task if it's, if it's outside of your capabilities. So he said, I'll make him in my own image. This is the design part of what he's looking at doing. Because I need him, he says, to rule over the fish and the, air, the fish and the birds and all these things. I need to turn, be able to turn the planet Earth over to man, over to this person. So all of that is there. The plan, the, the absolute necessity and the absolute process of designing for the task. What do you design for the task? If you're, if you're an engineer or you're a manufacturer and you have a, you have a plan and you create a design because you need to fulfill a certain task, what do you call that thing that you make? I, I, I'm using the word product. You can call it, I guess, whatever. But the product that God designed to perform the task so that the plan would come together, the product, it specifically says, is male and female. This was right there from the beginning. And by the fact that God is saying that this male-female combination is my image, is very clear to us then that this male-female phenomenon is actually part of God's self-revelation. We can know more about God and understand more about God in the interactions of a male-female together than we can a male or female separately or two males or two females because there's something in the mystery and the engineering of all that coming together 
It gives us a glimpse of the complexity and the glory of God like nothing else does. So I'm simply saying uh, that the idea of homosexuality versus heterosexuality is not at all a picture of what God's trying to get across and of what he's, he's trying to perform as the, uh, as the male and female together. The complexity of God and the glory of God when the, all the complexities are, come together are phenomenal. And there's no way we as humans can, can comprehend them. But the best picture we have in this whole entire world is a male and a female together. That's the best picture. Ephesians 5 talks about this when it discusses marriage, that it is an absolute picture of Christ in the church and of the, of, of the, the glory and the complexity of God. A couple pictures. I just thought, you know, maybe I can get across a point with some pictures. So let me ask you this. What makes an airplane work? Is it the wing or is it the motor? Uh, how do we fly? Sure, uh, sure, surely. I was trying to say truly and surely. It didn't come out. Surely. It is, it, is a, it is an amazing and beautiful complexity, a powerful complexity, when an engine and a wing do their thing together. It's, it's my understanding, this is my personal interpretation of what's going on in Genesis 2. When God first designed, when God first designed at the very beginning, he put everything into one package. And it was so complex that it, it, there was no appreciation there was no communication and so the lord said look i got to take the i got to take the motor out and hang it underneath the wing to have the motor and wing all integrated together in in one it's too much uh, there's no room to flex there's no room for it to understand what my image really is and so he took the two and divided into one and divided it into two um, what makes a machine work which, which of these, the pulley or the belt, is actually doing the work? What is it that creates the, the, the tremendous work that is done, that is accomplished? Is it the pulley or is it the belt? And I understand that you look at that and you say, boy, this brings back a lot of memories to me. Uh, because I used a pulley and a belt off the side of a tractor many times growing up. And I will tell you that the very fact, and you, you understand the analogy here of the male and the female, I, under, I, I will tell you that the fact that both, the answer of course is both, you cannot have, it won't work with two pulleys with no belt. You won't work with two belts and no pulleys. And, and yet together, the, the design of them working together, the accomplishment of them working together to grind some corn or to thrash some wheat or to, to do whatever, um, you know, whatever it is that the, the task is, is phenomenal. But even 
when, just, just to carry this analogy a bit farther, even when the pulley and the belt are working together and they're in sync with one another, it's not perfect. You know, I remember often maybe not getting the tractor lined up exactly right and the old belt flying off the pulley. I remember at times where the belt would slip on the pulley. You had to dress the belt with some sticky, tacky belt dressing. Marriages, male and female together, are not perfect. And sometimes the belt slips and the belt flies off. This doesn't imply that everything is perfect when it's the belt and the pulley, when it's the wing and the motor. But it does imply, what I am trying to say is, you cannot, you cannot accomplish anything with two belts lying side by side or two pulleys. What, what makes the arm move? Is it the bone or is it the muscle? What makes up the arm? I could say it that way, I, I assume. Um, is it, is, the design is, of course, for them to work together. The belt needs the pulley. The pulley needs the belt. The belt should never envy the pulley. The belt should not seek to become the pulley which is what a, a transgenderism seems to be about. And I understand that this is, an, uh, as this is an issue that affects many of our families and our community. I, I don't, I'm not against anybody. I have, I have no agenda here. I don't want to hurt or hate anybody. But I'm, I'm, I'm simply trying to express what the Scripture expresses, that there is no reason... For the belt to seek to become the pulley, <clears throat> even though it may think that the pulley is super cool. Uh, this is not simply a matter of logic or emotions. This is about getting the task done. This is about sawing the log or grinding the corn or whatever it is that the belt and pulley uh, would do together. together. And the complexity of the belt and pulley is such that Though they do not always work perfectly, they work. And they accomplish the plan of the engineer, of the farmer, of the designer that put them together. This is God's blueprint for human life. This is, this is what the scripture teaches us and tells us. That this is, this is God's blueprint for human life. And my point, or what I'm trying to say here is... There is no law that anybody, any government can pass that's going to change this. And there is no uh, protest that's going to change it. There's no activism or experimentation that's going to change the basic nature of our created order. I saw the most remarkable uh, interview recently on television. Um, I just caught part of it. It was on when I turned the television on and a a young lady, I believe about 20, was being interviewed. <clears throat> she had been born biologically as a girl. Uh, she was a tomboy, always interested in outdoors and active, active lifestyle and envied the boys that they didn't have to wear dresses and all this stuff. No big deal, but that was kind of her thing. When she was 14 years old, she decided to become a boy. And so with parents' blessing, and I don't know who all has to give their okay for a 14-year-old, this 
young, young teenage girl at 14 years old underwent a sex change operation, had her breasts removed, and I don't know what all else done, but transitioned at 14 years old into a boy, a male. And uh, she said, <clears throat> this is a, a point I hope you will hear clearly. She said to her interviewer, I was amazed that this didn't change anything. I found out that I still fought like a girl. Even though I was now physically a boy, I still had the same attitudes and thoughts as a woman. And becoming, altering my body didn't change that. And I, I, I just felt so sorry for her as I was listening to this. So now she has done what she could to transition back. Because she said, I realize I am a woman. And I realize even that now at this stage, I'd like to have a child someday. And I don't know anything about the medical and the physical alteration stuff. I don't know what they can do and how and how often. I don't know any of that. I just know that what this young lady was saying was so true. That it didn't change anything in her thinking. Because God wired her up and wound her up as a as as a belt, I'll say, not as a pulley. So to pretend or to physically alter something doesn't change what's needed to change up here where really the heart of our identity lies and the process of our thinking from our brain is, is different between the, the men and the women because we reflect the different parts of the nature of God. Okay, um, here's a quote from Pope Francis of the Roman Catholic Church, and his idea, or his thoughts, and this is several years old, but I just wanted you to see it. He said, you know, we're really trying to cancel out by transitioning and, and transgendering and whatever. We're really trying to cancel out uh, the differences. We think we're fixing a problem, but we're really creating a problem. And that's exactly what this young girl was saying that I saw on, on, on television. Um, I want to talk just a, a, a little bit about the transgender versus homosexuality. Uh, just this aspect of, of trying to change or wanting or being able to change from one identity to the other. Um, it is no longer, in our current culture I'm talking about, transgenderism is no longer simply a surgery. or uh, it, is, it has really and truly become an ideology it has become, it drives, it drives systems, it drives politics, it drives money with the, uh, with the desire to prove that we are so free and so able to do anything we want, no matter what the one who gives us life has to say about it, we will prove him wrong. And therefore, we are free to make anything of our bodies, of our minds, of our identities that we want to. That has become an ideology that's driving political decisions, that's driving budgets. It's, it's gone way beyond simply the idea of could a man become a woman. It's, it's now becoming a way to prove that I am free of any shackles that you or God would put on me. It's a way of proving that. And so it's become a very significant thing. 
And as I point out there in your sermon notes, the idea, the main idea of it is that our gender, our identity as male or female is something that's very malleable and it can change. And we're, at, we're free to change it. And not only that, but it has now become so, so driven that it wants to criminalize people who would say otherwise. And so if a parent, uh, this, is, uh, this is laws currently made or being dealt with in California and some other areas of the country, that, uh, that they do not want any longer uh, parents or doctors to be able to say wh- whether a child is a male or a female. And there are birth certificates, of course, in some areas that, that have three lines on it instead of two, where they, I mean, I'm talking about when they're filled out at the hospital, male, female, or other. But now the, the, the real drive is just to not to have to declare because the, we will let the person declare at a later stage of their life. And, of course, that could change. If, you know, like the bumper set, sticker said, ask me, I'll tell you what I am today. The Bible doesn't address this issue. The word transgender is not in the Scripture. Uh, the Bible does not address this issue in our current, as we currently think of it. I suppose the reason is because it couldn't have been a reality in the world in which the Bible was written. Um, there, there, there was no technology to enable uh, somebody to pretend that they were somebody else for any extended period of time. They, just, they couldn't alter our body as we can. They didn't have the kind of drugs that we have today and so forth. This is a statement from our own United Brethren denomination uh, regarding this issue. I wanted to take a moment to read it to make this point that in this discussion of, of the sexual identity of individuals, we need to be, as this points out, we need to be very affirming of people. And that may mean that we are very much realize that this person struggles. That they're a woman, but they don't want to be a woman. Or they don't like certain things about being a woman. Or they're not, they don't embrace the femininity that many women find so attractive and wonderful. And therefore, they, they, this word dysphoria that I have there is the opposite of euphoria. It's just a feeling of unhappiness, of disease, of discomfort, of confusion, of of sort of a sense of loss, like I'm not at home, I'm kind of wandering around. Um, I suppose there are many folks that feel a sense of dysphoria at some part of their life, about some area of their life. It's not just transgender issues that bring out dysphoria. So does divorce. Um, People feel absolutely lost. They say, I'm a fifth wheel. I'm not a he, I'm not a she, I'm an in I don't know what I am. I, I'm, I'm talking about symbolically in, after people go through a divorce or even widowhood. There's, there's lots of dysphoria. We need to recognize it. We need to accept and understand that people get all mixed up and maybe they, they look at an attraction to the same sex or to altering their sex as an attractive idea. That's, that's understandable. We all go through moments of of trying to figure out what to do next. But what they do about that and, and whether they pursue that and how long they allow that idea or that temptation to pull them along is a very different, a very big question. And, and 
their sense of identity comes from, what they decide to do about that. Anyway, this statement says, we need to guard against demeaning or trivializing the suffering that people would go through in this area. If a person finds themselves attracted or feels that they are attracted or is trying to figure out whether they are attracted or to changing their identity or to so, so forth. We need to understand and accept the fact that people struggle in this area and they're all over the place. Where we draw a line as a church and giving our, our blessing or our, our support is when that, uh, that temptation is followed by the individual who says, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to change who I am. I'm, I'm going to become a different, have a different sexual identity. That we, I'm, I'm just saying as a United Brethren denomination, do not celebrate or support, as how they have it here, this choice. There are, there are other ways to deal with this temptation than to say, well, I'm just going to follow through with it, as this young girl did, for example, when she was only 14 years old. I had tears in my eyes when I listened to her story because I thought, who are the adults? And where are the adults in these situations that allow so glibly to say, yeah, we will support and we will celebrate this kind of thing, that somehow we need to honor distinctions. This is, I have here just a couple very quick statements from leaders in the Roman Catholic Church over the last couple of years that I thought were interesting, that were um, maybe helpful to shine a light on this, on this transgender uh, subject. This was a response where a, a couple was rejected for being a godparent in the Catholic Church. This is kind of a big deal when someone is baptized in the church. They always have a godparent there and so forth. And in this position or in this, in this situation, this couple was denied being able to be a godparent of this family. And this is kind of the, the statement as to why. And I don't know who they were or anything about them. But this, I thought, was, was stated in a very understandable way. It says that the attitude of a transgender person, a person who wants to become the other opposite gender, is opposite to the attitude that says, I have a, I have a confused situation but I'm going to solve it using the truth of my own sexuality. Whatever it is. If I'm a man, I'm a man. That's, I'm, I'm a man. i got to figure out how to live with that. I have to figure it out from all the different angles where I struggle with it. But what this is saying is, the answer is not to become, seek to become someone else by seeking to change and physically alter the body using medication, using surgery, whatever. This this, this response to this couple says um, that you're not living in the faith or to this person or to this situation. You're not living in the faith. In other words, the implication is that, that the Christian faith says that's not the answer. We don't just switch, do the switcheroo. We struggle. We work. We find, we find ways to make who we are remain who we are, and not try to become somewhere else. Here's another um, uh, statement from Roman Catholic 
church. This is a, like an encyclical or whatever it's called, male and female, who created them. And I thought it was uh, pretty interesting and, and, and great how it was stated. The idea that people can choose or change their gender is a confused concept of freedom. The idea that I can step across any line at all is a confused idea. Because this line may be a cliff, and when I step over it, I plunge down into a place I can never return from. And so this, this term or this encyclical said, the church officially rejects the term. In other words, we, we hear people saying it, but we don't believe in God's economy or in God's viewpoint. It, it, it carries any weight. Because there is no such thing, even though we may insist that there is. That's what this is, this is saying. One more, th- one more here. Um, show love to transgender persons, reminding them of their value, listening to their struggle. But avoid misguided charity and false compassion. And what that means is that we would affirm or celebrate the the. The, perp- the person or the, the, the journey of a person who's trying to become someone different than they are, that we would urge them along and say, oh, that's so cool. And as I put here in my, I think in your sermon notes, we don't do that to other things that we feel would be harmful to that person. We, won't, we wouldn't say if our teenage kid came home, for example, and say, I decided I'm going to be a bank robber. We wouldn't say, oh, cool. I decided I'm going to go kill somebody. Well, you know, I love you. And, I, I, you know, I don't want to hold, I don't want to stand in your way. I don't think it's the greatest idea, but I'll certainly support you. And I'll just, I'll just do whatever I can. To, um, there's some things in our common sense that we say as a parent, for example, or a community member. Um, let me help you think differently. Let me gu- help guide you to a, some other alternative. Don't do this. This is not the answer. And, and that's all this is saying, is that if we do this under the guise of loving and providing support, that we really are messed up ourselves, because that's not what love is. Sometimes love stands up and says, that's a cliff, don't step over there. And this is what we as Christians need to do the best that we can when we're in such a situation with affirming and understanding, as, it point, as I pointed out earlier, that it is an area of struggle. And some people very, feel very lost and very dysphoric as they try to make their way through um, the, uh, the especially younger people and the emerging sexual identity. But it's not always young. Sometimes it comes in different form, stages of life. Here's what the scripture says. Um, we should affirm our children's sex and teach them how to honor and serve God as they are equipped and born to do so as either, as either a man or a woman. I can't say who's going to be in heaven. This is a troubling question. I mean, it's a very thought-provoking question. I hope everybody's going to be in heaven, but I know from the scripture that's not going to be the case. You know, Jesus said to many, 
wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are who follow it. So I, I feel very troubled about the whole sexual identity, transgender, homosexuality issue. I love and I love every person, but I don't feel that I'm capable of saying to every person in, who, who, who wants to go to heaven that they're going to go to heaven just because that they want to. It's a, there's, a, there's tragedies in our world. And, uh, and this whole ignorance of God's plan and rebellion against God's plan is one of the greatest of the tragedies, I think, that we face. Dear, dear Father, we, we pray you'll help us as, as parents and grandparents, as work co-workers, of, as neighbors, I hear stories all the time, Lord, from people who, who find their patience tested, who find their love tested by, by their neighbors or their friends or their co-workers in these areas. We ask for your help. We pray for every person, whether it's in this sexual identity area or whether it's in any other areas, who, who has made the choice of rebellion against you, the, the the direction of their life. And we ask that you will, you will use us to, su- to surround them with the Holy Spirit in a way that they, that they realize that there's, there's a better answer than what they contemplate. We thank you for all uh, the miracles, including the miracle of how it is that you've created us in your image as a male or female. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.